Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we celebrate an iPhone anniversary as new apps missile through a natural journey to build the App Store Totem. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. It was a, a nice week of new releases. We had the big the big Apple milestone, so... Uh... And now it's a holiday weekend, so it's a, a fun fun time to be playing games. Yes, happy 4th of July to everyone listening. And we'll start right off with the iPhone anniversary. It's the 10-year anniversary of when the iPhone first went on sale, June 29th, 2007. And in that time, the iPhone has seen many different versions, many different updates, complete iOS changes, App Store introduction, all kinds of different things. But it's that first iPhone that really set the stage for everything we have today and all the rumors that are building up for this 10-year anniversary special edition iPhone 8. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, did you have the original iPhone? I did get the original like a... iPhone. It did. See, I had the iPod Touch originally, and I used Nokia's and the Trio. Remember the Palm Trio? And then finally I got into the Apple game, I think around the iPhone 4 is when I hopped in, I believe. It's a late adopter. I waited for them to drop the <laughs> initial price because it was originally like 600 bucks with two-year AT&T contract, and then they dropped it to 400 a couple months later. That's when I picked mm -hmm. it up. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I was a little late to the game, but I made up for it in in lots of app purchases. Yes. And it's interesting because Apple... They've sold 1.1 billion iPhones in that 10-year period. And I remember when it first came out, you know, there was the usual Apple fans who were super excited, but there was the contrarians who thought that it wouldn't ever eat away at the Palm Trio or BlackBerry or any stuff like that. And it's funny what we have today in 2017. Oh, right. Yeah. Some of these companies are completely gone. Some are hanging on by a thread. So, yeah, they, they definitely took it over and... uh I'm happy with my iPhone now. I won't go back to a trio, that's for sure. And even if you're not the biggest Apple fan, you still have to respect what they were able to do for touchscreen devices. Those, I mean, when you're in a train, everybody might not be using an iPhone, but that black touchscreen brick is there in everybody's hand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, happy birthday, iPhone. And now that gives us a plenty of apps and games to use on those iPhones thanks to the proliferation of the App Store, which didn't launch until a year later in 2008. But still, we have plenty of apps. And the first one is AnyScience, which is a new kids app that offers that educational perspective. This time, it focuses on pretty much you play as this little mouse who lives in a burrow underground and you can walk around and explore explore the underground and then go up to the top level. And as you do so, you'll encounter like a shrew or mites or larva. And then you get to the surface. You have butterflies and grasshoppers and tadpoles. And you have a magnifying glass. You can drag that over any item in the environment and you get a full pop-up page with details on that item. Like if you drag it over the butterfly, you get to see the larva stage and then how it proceeds from caterpillar to the metamorphosis into the butterfly and then the different anatomical pieces of the butterfly so you have all these little pieces to kind of dive into and interact with every single 
relating item for this mouse's journey. Yeah, it's a really cute way to present the information where you have this this kind of really nicely drawn mouse and the, the kids get to move them around. And then it becomes more of an interactive book. It's not I wouldn't really call it a game. It's it's an exploration game, I guess, if you want to say game, because you're kind of just roaming around underground and, and above ground trying to find other things to look at. And like you said, it pops up this little page of information. So it's kind of a static experience once you're fine the information but so you're not going to be doing like experiments and other things to really like dive into that information it's more presented in a cute way for kids to kind of read and learn so i would think your kids have to obviously be old enough to read to to be able to go through this unless you sit down with them to read it to them but it's a fun little way for them to go around just learn about all these different insects and animals and plants and there's like tons of things to click on and and learn about and so it's it's a fun little uh, educational app for kids. Yeah, rather than having like a textbook or any kind of nature book where it proceeds in chapter-based format and different blocks of text, you get to go on your own kind of path and decide what you want to read about, and it's not so structured to still have that educational impact. Right. Quite literally, you get to choose the path the mouse is going on on all these little paths that are underground. So you get to move them around wherever you want them to and then stop and look at whatever you happen to be passing at the time. So, yeah, they get to choose their own path. Yep. And so that's Annie Science. It's free and that gives you the burrow perspective. And then there's a $1.99 in-app purchase so you can unlock the forest and all the accompanying animals and plant life to explore. Right, yeah, and it looks like they plan on adding more of these uh, as in-app purchases as the app keeps getting updated to add more content. Right, and so that's pretty much an app to talk about and then transition over to some new games, and there's some interesting ones this week. We'll start off with Kalimba, which delivers a kind of puzzle platform idea in that you have two characters that you're going to control simultaneously. So you have a green totem and a purple totem, and... It's kind of like Heart Star as well as Live Together and a few other where you have two characters to control simultaneously. In this case, it's more action-y simply because you have a lot of different very specific elements to contend with. So there's going to be these portions of the screen that are purple, like these purple like sphere or just... Something like lava, kind of. <laughs> Just some kind of like form to go through. It's going to be purple and green. So the purple totem can only go through the purple, and the green can only go through the green. And so you're going to have to switch the characters back and forth in various positions. See, maybe you jump to a platform up here, and it's purple. But you have the green totem up there, so then you can switch, and now the purple one's ready to proceed through that area. And then they're also going to be various kinds of blocks where you have to get both characters to the same point to open up kind of a passageway and then there's even these drop down descending areas where you have to move back and forth and switch the characters so they're in that purple or green specific area and then the totems can also hop on top of each other and that lets you kind of double jump to reach hard to reach areas as well as maybe you have this green spike coming up and if you just try to walk through it the purple one will be destroyed so you need to jump and then jump again for the purple to jump way over the green and they build upon these ideas as you go from level to level yeah this becomes a like a 
you have to be quick on the trigger because you can switch between those two colors at will and they'll just there's a little button you can hit and they'll immediately swap colors so you might be going through a segment where the purple needs to be on top but then all of a sudden there might be a one little space just temporary space where they can either can be on top or bottom doesn't matter but then you have to quickly switch their colors again so that now maybe the green's on top and now he won't uh, get killed by going through a purple section. So you, there's so much going on where you're moving left and right and then you basically have a jump button and then this button to swap their colors. And so you constantly have to be thinking about things because there's these pickups as you're going through the levels. There are these little shards that you kind of pick up. There's a total of 70 of them in each level. The trick is if you die at all, that's going to affect your end score. So you could pick up all 70 of these pickups, make it to the end, and then it gives you a score based on how many of those you picked up minus the number of times you died. So you'll start out getting like a really high score if you manage to somehow pick them all up, but then you'll see it start to kind of shift down based on the number of deaths. So you constantly have to look forward and backward just to make sure you didn't miss any of those and then also just kind of plan ahead so that you don't die. Odds are you're going to die. I don't know how these people get these high scores where they got all 70 of them and didn't die at all. And maybe they did the level a bunch of times, but some of these levels, even if I tried about 20 times, there's no way I would get all 70 and not die at least once because there is some super challenges where you just have to be so fast of either just jumping on things or switching those colors up and making sure that one of your characters isn't going to get obliterated you will definitely die a bunch of different times in this game and i mean there's that appeal to get the gold version of the totems as you because you get the totem piece as you complete each level and you will want to try it but They've made these levels for very precise movement and you want to kind of get that goal, but you don't need to because they have a really well done checkpoint system. So when you do lose, you're not sent all the way to the restart the level. You're kind of die just a few feet back from where you currently are. So you can just you're right there in the cycle of wanting to proceed forward and complete the given level. You know exactly how you messed up and how you can try again. So you don't want to kind of break it and restart the whole level just for that gold sheen on that totem piece. Just like you said, because there's so many ways to die and you can die in an instant. It can ruin a whole run, but you want to just complete the levels. Right. And, and even with that, that precise movement that you need, I was impressed with how well the on-screen controls worked. Like this seemed like it would be the type of game you would have so much you'd really want a physical controller for. But just those two left and right buttons and the jumps, they seem to be super responsive that you can pull off these quick uh, switches whenever you needed to or double jumps or however whatever you happen to need it never felt like the controls were bogged down it it felt responsive and i never felt like i it, i lost because controls didn't work it was because of my own stupidity yeah those tight stretches the controls never get in the way there's a part where you have to drop down where the purple piece can be slightly ahead of the green and you'll need to drop the purple one down while the green doesn't run into the purple lava essentially up there. 
and then you'll have to switch right before it touches the ground because then there's a green part. So you have to somehow make sure that the green doesn't inch up too far forward as the purple's dropping down and then switch it right before you get to the bottom so that the green is in the right position. And there's a lot of stretches like that that just keep... <laughs> I mean, that's only a few levels into the game. So you know it's just going to amp up from there. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and you do have the option. So I played all solo. So I'm controlling both of these characters. You do have the option of actually playing in a cooperative mode. I, have, I didn't really try it out, but it looked like it splits the screen and then each player controls one of the characters with their half of the iPad is what I was loaded it up on. But I haven't actually tried that that mode out yet. But I got to imagine that's going to be even tougher because at least I can focus and I know when I have to quickly switch things to have that communication with another person and have them do it at the right times is probably even tougher than just doing it yourself. Yeah, and there's no online component for that. It is split screen, same device, but that doesn't really make that big of an impact. If you're going to play this game, you don't want any lag or delay for sure. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then I was just surprised by the degree of polish from the overarching narration, the voice narration you're given, plus the transition effects of where it kind of like prisms between opening a level or even as they disintegrate and fly back to the previous checkpoint. It's just really beautifully composed game to keep you fully immersed in the experience and just appreciate the time that went into developing this game and then making it available on iOS. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a originally an uh, Xbox One and a Windows release a few years back, and now it comes to iOS. But you can definitely tell a lot of these ports have those really that high level of, of polish that the indie developers put into those console and and Steam releases. And I love when we get them on iOS because they always, I would say, the vast majority of the time, you see that same level of quality come over to iOS as well. It doesn't feel like a second rate porting of it usually they do such a good job that it feels native to the device that it just works so well on ios that you wouldn't even question it being an ios release yep and so that's kalimba it's 399 and it's universal and then there's missile cards which takes the core idea of missile command and turns it into a card game where you're given a constant kind of conveyor belt of cards and you want to drag up the missiles onto your deck and then comets are coming along and well as other projectiles as you advance and you need to use the missiles to get rid of the various projectiles and it's turn-based so the projectiles move one at a time on the screen and if you wait for them to get closer to your base you can amp up your score multiplier because right on the left side of the screen you see times one times two times three etc so the longer you wait but in doing so, you might not have the missile power to pull it off, or maybe you'll miss a missile that runs out of room on the conveyor belt as you need to play a card, because each time you grab a card to move into your deck, everything moves one over. So if you actually use a card to defend against the missile, everything moves one over. So you always have to kind of balance that. And then each comet has a different power as well as your missiles. So if a comet has a power of three, and your missile is only power two, the comet's still going to have one power left after you use that missile. So you want to always balance that idea. And then the cards actually have a charging system. So once you drag it into your deck, it usually takes three turns for it to be fully charged to be ready to use. So that's another thing you have to balance and contend with 
as you're playing your cards to fight back all these different projectiles. Yeah, there's all these great pieces working together that make this game so much fun because you all have to do all that balancing of when do I drag cards up to, to my hand for the, to start them in the charging so they'll be ready to fire off, and how long do I wait to try to shoot these comets down and take them out to kind of rack up my score? Because what's happening is each one of the levels, there's these three goals, minimum goals that you have to get. Then there's bonus goals you can go for too. But one of them is usually winning uh, or... The, destroying X number of comets or winning X number of times. One is usually a score based one and the other one, I don't, I don't remember. It's, it kind of varies by the different worlds as you progress through the game. And you, so you're constantly having to try to figure out which of these goals am I going to go for? Am I going to go for points and, and take some chances here and there, or do I just play it safe and take things out as quickly as I can? Because what you there's a lot of other moving parts within the game because your base, you have a main base. If that even get if that loses all its health, then everything goes away and you lose and then you have to start over. Then you have these little sub bases that are on the sides of the base. They themselves can get hit once, no problem, and they get destroyed. The problem is if they get hit again, then uh, you lose the game. Then you got to start all over again. So you can purposely take damage on those sub bases, and if you don't have the the weapons ready or they're not charged yet, you can take some damage there. And so there's a whole strategy there of when do I take damage? When do I just try to take things out? But things really start getting complicated once you move on to the next worlds, because then there's nuclear missiles. Nuclear missiles start out with a certain value, which if you don't disarm them by firing at them with X amount of power to just whatever they say on them, that disarms them. And then immediately once they're disarmed, they then still have one power. But if you don't disarm them and they hit any of your bases, then everything blows up and you you die. If the or if the nuke has been disarmed, then you're okay. Then there's this whole thing where you can uh, another level deeper, a uh, different world that introduces the solar flares. When they come out and they come off the end of the conveyor belt, they immediately reset all of the things you had charged. So now you might be have all these weapons ready to go. You were waiting, trying to rack up a score. But the solar flare just took them all out, and now they're not going to be charged in time to shoot things down. So it, the game just keeps getting better and better the more you get into it, just as he layers on more and more things with these various cards and and shoot, uh, enemy types and weapons that you have. There's new weapons that come out that charge in one turn so that you can rely on those. Maybe if the solar flare comes through, then at least you have a backup. You can unlock a spot for a special ability that you can trigger by uh, discarding cards. So you charge it up by discarding things. And so there's all these various elements that this game, the more you dig into it, the more you're going to love it. Yeah, they've done a really good job to turn Missile Command into a turn-based game because it comes from the classic arcade where it's frantic action to be able to continually handle the projectiles. But now you have a turn-based, really thoughtful approach to the game with many different aspects to balance each time you play. It is set up where you need to keep playing a specific location until you complete those three challenges to unlock the new location. It's not like, okay, I completed this 
map without dying in the set number of cards so I can move on. So you do have a little forced replay in that regard, but it's worth it because it unlocks so many different things with each new location that's introduced. Right, and you do have the ability to help yourself. So you can one of the cards you can charge up allows you every time you blow up a comet or any of the enemies that are coming down, they leave these little uh, scraps of things behind. If you collect those, you can use those to purchase new cards that'll get shuffled into your deck. And they're things that help you either rebuild your bases or they'll help you to just deliver damage to all the enemies on the screen at once. You still have to charge them and, and fire them off like you would any other weapon. But at least there's ways to to build up your your cards to get them better to give you a better chance and then you have those slots you can unlock where you can uh do upgrades to your bases so like now maybe you can uh just by playing through you get experience points and that gives you these base upgrade points and so then you can give your base more main health your main base more health you can have that little charging one that you get by discarding cards you can have that go up from one to two to three to even four or more damage so you always have that one reserved no matter if nothing's charged as long as you discarded a few cards to charge that thing up that's always like a safety net and so there's ways that they mitigate those that inability to pass those uh certain goals so you always have a way you can be upgrading things to make your chances better and better you're still going to always have like any solitaire game a chance that you're going to be dealt bad cards you're going to be dealt a whole bunch of comets and no uh weapons that are going to charge in time to get those and you're going to you're going to lose pretty quickly well then you shuffle and you start over i mean that's the nature of a solitaire game you're not always going to get a winning shuffle and you definitely notice that in this game sometimes as well so i think even though i i'm usually anti like forcing someone to hit a whole bunch of sometimes tough goals to move on i think where they have that upgrade system it helps to ease that pain and allow you a chance and not like uh, where if you just can't solve a puzzle, you're not going to move on. This you always have a chance because maybe the deal will be better or maybe you'll have the upgrades you need to pass on. Yep. And that's Missile Cards. It's $2.99 and it's universal. And then one other one I just want to mention this week was this was kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't even know these guys were working on it is all that remains part one. It comes from glitch games. These are the guys that put uh, those amazing point and click adventures, the whole forever lost series. And then they did a short tale. They did a forgotten room and that kind of tongue in cheek uh, Ferris Mueller's day off one. And this one, it starts off with a bang. Like you're in this story where this kid wakes up or you don't really know how old he is. So this guy wakes up and he's in uh, this bunker, this crazy like fallout bunker. And he has a radio and he's talking to his sister and he's tr she's in trouble off in some other location. You could start to piece things together as you're going through it and you hear like some major catastrophe happened and it sounds like this virus is spreading. It sounds like people are mutating and something crazy is going on outside. You don't know what's going on, but you ha basically have to collect a whole bunch of items within this bunker that your dad set up 
and figure out how to get out of this bunker. There's these four locks on the door and you have to follow. There's instructions on what you have to do for those locks, but you have to go through this whole bunker, finding things and piecing things together, unlocking things and your typical point and click adventure stuff. It has that same setup as all of glitch games titles where you have this camera that you can use anywhere. So you're constantly taking pictures. You can draw on the pictures to take notes or try to help you solve the puzzles. This one, I would say, is definitely the puzzles aren't easy, but they're much more straightforward. Some of their puzzles in the past and some of their games are really require a lot of outside of the box thinking where this one, I never felt like any of the puzzles were so crazy difficult. Maybe I'm just getting used to the way they do their games. But for me, I thought this one was definitely one of the much more approachable ones. And I think anyone could make it through. One of the puzzles does require a bit of, uh, really a lot of work through to to get it but i mean it's it's just tedious it's not hard you just have to do a lot of pieces to it but other than that i really enjoyed this and i can't wait they ended on a cliffhanger and i can't wait for the next part uh it's really well done well voice acted and all the puzzles just work well together how long do you think it took to take to get through I would probably say somewhere between hour and hour and a half, somewhere in there. Uh, it's only nine nine cents. This one was actually fairly uh, cheap compared to their compared to their other ones. And I know that some of their other ones were on sale this week uh, too, as part of like a summer sale. But yeah, for nine nine cents, it's a no brainer. This was definitely well worth it. I I, I want to say it was somewhere around an hour to hour and a half it took me to get through. I I, I mean that's going to vary depending on how good you are at these or how quickly you pick up on certain aspects of the puzzle. Some of them could have you trying to figure it out where you just step away, think about it, and then come back. But for the most part, I didn't really have any issues. One of them I even kind of brute forced my way through uh, without even trying to find the clue because I had three quarters of it done. So that's all that remains. It's 99 cents and it's universal. And then there's a few free quick games to go over before we round out the week. And the first one is Flippy Hills, which gives you a little chicken, and all you do is tap on the right side of the screen to jump. And the idea is that you're kind of tumbling downhill, and your chicken does a somersault for each jump. And so you want to time it at the best time where his feet are touching the ground. So, you know, he'll move where the back of his feet are on the ground, and then it will go all the way towards the front. And depending on when time you tap is going to change the trajectory of the next jump. And then if you get too much air, you can tap the left side of the screen to slow your rotation so that the full somersault, maybe you see that if he's going to keep going, he's going to somersault all the way and face plan or land on his back. So you can tap and then he'll pretty much fall straight down at his current uh, angle to help land on the proper footing. And so there's a campaign and arcade mode. The arcade mode is just an endless challenge you've probably played before. But the campaign mode is kind of what distinguishes it itself by giving you a specific finish line to reach and different obstacles and objectives. So, you know, you'll start out and you might have to jump on top of a box, or then you'll jump from box to box, or then there'll be razor blades or buzz saws. And so it builds upon itself in these short chunked levels to distinguish itself from just another endless game. Yeah, this is the type of game that I tend to just not even play, or I play it 
once and then put it away. The campaign mode in this is really what helps it have some staying power because the endless is only going to last so much. Either you're going to be good at this flipping or you're not. And either you're going to get so frustrated you just want to put it away or you're just you're going to be someone who keeps coming back trying to improve their high score in that endless mode. The campaign mode allows you to come back and actually have these small goals to go for and they do change things up a bit each time you're going through. So it makes you want to play it more where it's either it's it doesn't become this cut and dry you like it or you don't kind of deal that most of these quick action endless games tend to have at least for me that's how it always is this is definitely better than than the vast majority of those type of games this is the type of game where you'll mess up multiple times and the chicken does have an amusing kind of 3d break into parts when you do make a mistake it's not perfect it's not the greatest game but if you kind of like that quick kind of platformer game where the entire level is almost contained on screen this kind of fits in that idea they're not super long levels you're going to jump probably five times but it's all about balancing momentum and proper timing of when to lift off yep yeah i agree and so that's flippy hills it's free it's universal and then there's knight saves the queen which is a modern take on chess where it uses the familiar chess mechanics you're mainly playing as the knight and it turns it into a puzzle game so you're only playing as the knight you move in that l shape and you try to figure out how to get rid of all the pieces on the screen and then end up saving the queen so each puzzle is going to give you a different arrangement of pawns or they'll introduce rooks and so on and so forth through the different pieces in chess and you have to get rid of all of them you have a set number of moves to move your knight to get rid of all of them and then as you go you'll also get allies on your side so you can use them in addition to your knight to end up on the queen space yeah so this game at first it, it seemed way too repetitive to me and it was just doing the same thing over and over again but then once they start to introduce the new types of enemies which are all just the familiar chess pieces but then you also start to get those allies that's where it really started getting interesting to me because then they could really kind of create these much more uh detailed puzzles that weren't so obvious because all you're doing is moving an l shape over and over again with at least with the allies, you use you basically are sac in the most cases you're sacrificing your allies to set up the moves for the knight to move. So the knight always has to, I believe, well, at least this is how I was playing. The knight always has to be the one who ends the level. So if I get a couple of pawns, I just sacrifice those guys to form to get the the enemies to move where I need to to get the knight to be able to take them out. And so I definitely found it much more entertaining once they got to that point. The only issue I had was once you played through the first 10 levels, you couldn't progress unless you got gold, which was you solved every single one of the first 10 levels in a certain specified number of moves. So if you didn't do that, if you didn't have all 10 of them solved, then you didn't have enough of these gold uh, stars to move on and unlock the next set of levels. So your only options were to go back and try to resolve the puzzle or puzzles that you may not have gotten gold on or pay money to buy those missing stars that you needed to then unlock the next level. To me, that I didn't really like because a lot, when it comes to a puzzle, 
sometimes people are either going to get it or they're not. And they might try this thing a hundred times and never find a way to shave off the one or two moves they need to get that gold status. And then to kind of force them to pay money if they want to play more. I, I didn't really like that. Like we just talked about with missile cards where at least you had a way that you always could be improving and have a way that you could eventually work your way and unlock that next level. This, I don't know that it's really that same style because it forces someone, maybe they're just not physically capable of figuring out a way to solve this in another in another manner that would get them that. And then to force them to pay money, I just didn't really like that. But it definitely, once you start to progress to those other levels, it gets more and more entertaining. So you do want to find a way to move on and unlock additional groups of levels. Yeah, I definitely agree on both counts. The first 10 levels or so, I almost didn't continue playing the game because it was so bland and boring and easy and repetitive. But then once those rooks are first introduced, everything from then on, it really increases the challenge. There's multiple ways for your knight to lose before getting to the queen. So you then have multiple things to deal with. And it makes a good job of turning chess into a puzzle game rather than that familiar board game. And then it was weird that you needed 10 gold stars, not like 7 gold stars or something where you could have a few levels where you weren't perfect, but you completed them. And so that was definitely off-putting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I almost dropped it. I almost dropped it before I got to the next 10 levels because this is so repetitive and boring. I'm glad I carried on because it was definitely got much better. Yep, and so that's Night Saves the Queen. It's free, it's universal. And then finally, there's Daily Solitaire which I just mentioned because it comes from the makers of Politaire, which was really good combining poker and Solitaire for a new modern take on Solitaire. This game I thought had the same kind of idea, but it turns out it's just video poker, and they call it Daily Solitaire. I have no idea why they gave it the name. It is video <laughs> poker in the purest sense. They make it kind of a level-based idea where you'll have a level where you need to make hands with 32 hearts. And so that's essentially... I guess a challenge, but it's really just video poker and you have a set number of chips to use and try to make video or poker hands. Yeah. I, I lost interest very quickly in that one in daily solitary just didn't appeal to me at all. There was nothing groundbreaking with it. I mean, it had, had a different art style, but other than that, nothing really to write home bet. Yeah. I hoped it was better. And so I think that's everything for episode 25. Yeah, that's all I got. Brett, thanks again for joining me. Oh, yeah, it's a pleasure as always. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.